All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the third day of September 2019. I do want to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can subscribe to that by going to miningstocks.com, and it is indeed a very... Uh, exciting time, and I'll be getting to one of the one of the primary stories in my newsletter. And a sponsor of the show will be talking about it briefly in just a minute or two. Also, like you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter. What is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Go to ChenPicks.com, ChenPicks.com, to learn about what Chen is up to. He was on our show last week and definitely has some great ideas that you might want to follow. And of course, Michael Oliver as well. OliverMSA.com. Michael will be with me in just a moment. Uh, our sponsors for, for today's show, Klondike Gold, Novo Resources, Radisson Mining Resources, and Great Bear Resources. And Great Bear is the story of the day, I must say. I'm proud of all of these sponsors. They're all doing very, very well. But Great Bear came out today with some news that is nothing short of phenomenal. Uh, the news today points uh, to the possibility of this stock becoming, I think, one of the greatest stock picks in my newsletter since I began publishing in 1981 because uh, each of the press releases that seem to come out, uh, that are coming out from Great Bear, suggest a higher confidence that something really, a really large grade, a large high grade, and also a disseminated gold deposit is in the making in the, in the Red Lake area of Ontario. The press release uh, is about four pages long, but just to give you a flavor of what is embedded in that announcement, here are a couple of the sub-headlines. Great Bear drills multiple gold discoveries along a 3.2-kilometer fault length, the LP fault at Dixie Lake project. Drilling at new, at, at drilling into a new auto zone, it's called auto zone, a 2.6-kilometer step out from the Bear Rimini intersects 101 grams of gold over 1.5 meters within 42 meters, grading 5.28 grams per ton gold. And that's at a depth of only 80 meters from surface. And then a new, another discovery, the Yuma Zone intersected um, some 27.77 grams of gold over 2 meters within an 11.08 gram per ton gold uh, intersection. And so uh, um, that is uh, within 11.8 grams of 7 meters of uh, intersection. Well, those of you who heard Eric Coffin talk about Great Bear last week heard him say that if the new Bear Rimini turns out to host a lot of disseminated gold along with the high grades, the ounces on this property, on this project, could start to rise very, very rapidly 
And that, in turn, could bring about some great interest from some of the major miners sooner rather than later. And uh, in today's press release, there was reference to wide intervals of disseminated gold mineralization surrounding and adjacent to the high-grade intercepts. So it looks to me like the big fish could be swimming around Great Bear sooner rather than later. But Great Bear is very conscious of needing to optimize shareholder value. They've kept the number of shares down very low. They are very concerned about not uh, allowing big uh, the big boys to come in and gain entry and gain too much dominance in the uh, voting of the stock. I know they're very conscious of that. Uh, we will have Chris Taylor, the president of the company, on this show sometime in the near future. But I would just say this, that now is the time. The gold and silver mining stocks are definitely on a tear, uh, and they may be just at the beginning. I believe they are. Time will tell. But there's never been a better time, I think, in many years to start seriously considering investing in junior gold mining shares uh, than right now. Indeed, a couple of weeks ago, Frank Holmes said much the same thing when he was on our show. Well, I've titled today's show, Can the Empire, Can the American Empire Survive a Failing Economy? David Stockman, Daniel McAdams, and Michael Oliver are my guests today. The mark of a true prophet is one whose warnings unfold as predicted. Dating back to his days in the Reagan administration, David Stockman avoided political correctness to warn of future doom if America continued to live beyond its means. Stockman's writings have been ignored by elites but are now starting to come into full view. Rapidly rising gold prices and plunging treasury yields are flashing a dire economic signal, it seems, to many who are observing uh, the connection between gold and some of those other markets. Last week at Jackson Hole, Bank of England uh, President Mark Carney uh, said that the dollar's days are numbered as the world's reserve currency. And out of panic, another former central banker, Bill Dudley, implored Jerome Powell to ensure that President Trump is not reelected, no doubt in part because uh, Dudley is terrified by Trump's trade policies, as are many people on Wall Street, I dare say. There is no question the trade issue causes gloom on the global scene, and it is no doubt leading to declining GDP in various countries, including our own. However, there are deeper reasons for global economic problems. As Alistair McLeod pointed out last week, the U.S. dollar interest rates are being driven lower by money around the world seeking positive yields, which is pushing U.S. dollar interest rates down. Indeed, I, I did read that something like 93% of all positive yielding investment-grade bonds are trading in the United States, one of the few countries where there's still a dominance of pro- positive yields. As Alistair pointed out, If the world's reserve currency, that is the U.S. dollar, goes into negative rate regime, it will be all over for the dollar as the world's reserve currency. Well, this is certainly one of the issues I want to talk to David Stockman about. We'll get his opinion on what negative rates mean for the economy and for our markets. And David will be with me in the second half of today's show. In just a few minutes, I'll be talking to Daniel McAdams after our first commercial break. He's with the Ron Paul Institute. I want to ask Daniel about some of the geopolitical signs of disharmony that he and Ron uh, Ron Paul are observing, because I think they're also very important. We are in the process of, uh, of angering a lot of our, our best allies, uh, because we want them to do certain things that are our interests, not necessarily in theirs. And so there's a lot of things to keep an eye on, uh, not the least of which, um, well, I think most of all, uh, interest rates. I'm really uh, thankful to tell you, though, that, uh, well, we've got 
Michael Oliver with us again, thankfully. He was away last week. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Always good to have you with me, and I know our people uh, that listen to this show really feel that way. Um, You know, you uh, suggested to me this morning that uh, probably the most crucial market to keep our eyes on now, the U.S. equity markets in particular, I know you follow the S&P. Help us understand why you think that's so crucial right now. Well, obviously, the, uh, as you just said, uh, what's going on with the debt markets, T-bonds, government debt, uh, and gold is very similar. They're going vertical. Okay, why? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, They're inverse to the S&P, and they have been for a while. And obviously, money's moving out of the stock market, and uh, the stock market, the S&P anyway, has not gone anywhere for a year and a half. Uh, go back to January 2018. Today's low is just about where that price was. Um so, obviously, somebody's vacating that asset category, which is the most bloated stock index in the developed market world, is the U.S. market, more so than mm-hmm. Europe, even more so than Japan. Um, and they're going into T-bonds and chasing whatever yield is left, and uh, they're, they're going into gold, and now silver, and now mm-hmm. platinum, by the way, by our yeah. work. Uh, though we stress the gold side of the equation, gold, silver, and gold miners, not platinum. But platinum has now joined in, technically. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a reason for this. Now, you can debate about it academically and so forth, but it's our view that you know we've had a decade of asset price uh, construction by the central bank, the Fed, and the European Central Bank, and the BOJ to drive stock prices up. That was one of their primary objectives. BOJ even bought stocks. They own a chunk of the ETFs over there. We all know this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the Federal Reserve has for a decade or more uh, entertained ideas. And, in fact, it's out there in the real world. You know about it, the, the, of the, the put uh, strategy yeah. they have to actually buy stocks and so forth. So it's not a conspiracy theory. No. Uh, whether it's being implemented, I don't know. But the, you know, the point is that they'll, they'll go to that desperate step if they need to. And our technical work on the S&P now says that uh, we're, right now we're trading in high 2800s. Uh, you can't be trading in the mid-2600s. If you do, our view is a correction will turn into a crash. And we've never seen anything like this uh, in the history of the technicals of long-term momentum of the U.S. stock market. And we've gone back and studied them. In fact, I was in the crash of 87, so I, I caught that. But we went back even to the 1920s and technically applied our, our methods, and there's only two times where we've seen structures of this, like the bridge on the River Kwai structure, if you'll imagine that in your mind, something yeah. blow up and have implode. It was in 1987 and 1929. Huh. But the one we have now is far wider in terms of the number of years it's been developed mm-hmm. on annual momentum of the S&P. It goes back about a decade. Um, and it's our view, if you get to the correction, that many major Wall Street firms think is you know, justified, reasonable, and so forth, uh, yeah. it will not turn into a correction. There are triggers below us that should turn the S&P into something on the downside that's very dark, very rapidly. Yeah. Now, that would fit, if you look at the T-bond chart and the gold chart over the last few months, what in the world are they bothered about with such urgency? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, the S&P has been sort of complacent. If you look at the price chart, back and forth and back and forth, everybody's asleep debating the issues, and so forth. Maybe they know something. Mm-hmm. That's my assumption. Mm-hmm. So, uh, get off the subject a little bit here, but your next guest, connected to Ron Paul, uh, it's our argument that the people in the, the, the hold the view that Trump has this election 
sewed up because of the economy strong or the stock mm-hmm. market strong. That mm-hmm. could change like a light switch, yeah. like a light right. switch. Yeah. And if that occurs, all the political assumptions out there could be trashed overnight, which right. means what? Well, it means some new stuff has to be discounted. What about the possibility of you know, a, a socialist being elected or at least a Democrat and the House and the Senate go Democrat, go socialist? Would mm-hmm. we have to discount the possibility of a U.S. going the European model? Mm-hmm. That has yeah. not been discounted by the stock market, okay? Uh, no. <laughs> in other words, what we're arguing is there could be a very dark situation here very rapidly, and we no. see it in our technicals. That no. is the, the technical dynamism, I think, could drive the T-bonds and gold into their next sharp up phase. Mm-hmm. Is if the S&P crumbles through certain key numbers, and it mm-hmm. won't take a lot. So, well, you're my, a gold bug, uh, you're long the market, gold market, you're long the T-bonds for the right reasons. Um, you shouldn't be watching those markets as much as you watch the S&P, because we think the yeah. S&P is the key ingredient right now. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Well, Mike, uh, you know, the thing is that uh, we've got the T-bond now that's under 2%, I believe, right? And mm-hmm. how? How? Yeah, and I know that longer term, you've been bearish on mm-hmm. on, the, on bonds and so forth. And, and you know, uh, last week we, we heard from... Uh, from our guest, uh, Alistair McLeod, he talked about if the U.S. rates go negative as the world's reserve currency, he thinks it's all over for the dollar as the world's reserve currency. That would be something that would fit into some sort of a a major change geopolitically uh, and economically, I would think, something of that nature. If the dollar ceases to be, I mean, it changed rapidly. I'm old enough, and I guess you're almost old enough to remember 1971 when uh, when we went off the gold standard, that is what set up the problems that we're having right now, in my view. The massive amount of indebtedness, the whole idea of quantitative easing, none of that nonsense could have been possible. The notion that there could be negative interest rates, just absolutely absurd to any rational human being on the face of the earth, and yet that's what these guys are espousing. So I'm just thinking, what you're saying fits, I'm afraid, and not that I want it to happen. Who in their right mind, Michael, wants to see calamity and, and problems? But these... These, um, I want to use a polite word, people uh, out of Harvard, Yale, Princeton, all the MIT, the, the PhDs that sit in the Federal Reserve and have given us this, uh, my goodness, um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 just, I just wonder. So, so do you see then what happens when, uh, if the U.S., can, can the T-bond go into negative rates? I, what I sense would, would that, that make? Our view on the T-bonds is this, that ultimately reality will take over and rates will go up. Okay, but uh-huh. ever since last December, we turned bullish on bonds despite a prior negative view. And sure. They, they haven't ceased that trend <coughs> uh, dynamic, and mm-hmm. we think there's now more to go. It could be the nature of a, of a spike where if the S&P does, in fact, cave and cave quickly, as we argue certain numbers will, will generate – then the T-bonds could be in one last exhaustive upward spike where the flight to safety is just enormous. Mm-hmm. At that point, rates might be near zero or something on that order anyway. Uh, however, I don't know if that's sustainable ultimately. In the short run, yeah. Now, the thing, I, I could see T-bonds which, and gold, which are in sync right now, divorcing. Uh-huh. And I think the point at which the divorce could occur, meaning T-bond prices fall, rates go back up, is after a panic surge into T-bonds based on a panic sell-off in the S&P. Right. At that point, you'll have exhausted the T-bond upside out of sheer yep. fear. 
Um, yeah. And at that point, you could then revert to higher rates. As far as the dollar goes, technically, we're highly suspicious of the rally. It's, it's now 2% higher than it was 13 months ago mm. using the DXY cash dollar index. Uh, mm. So it's not a big move. It's just inching mm. up. And if Trump does exercise his one uh, power that he has without asking for permission from anybody else, and that is to intervene to, de- to take the dollar down, he doesn't mm-hmm. have to take it down much. A couple mm-hmm. percentage points will trigger a lot of momentum breakage. Mm-hmm. It will induce other people who own the dollar to sell the dollar. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't require that the Treasury take control, drive it down. All they have to do is topple it just a little bit, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. technicals will take over. And others yeah. who are long the dollar will vacate and therefore be mm. sellers of the dollar. Yeah. And that yeah. can shift the balance as well. Well, uh, yeah, and it should shift the balances yeah. of a lot of markets we don't even realize right now. It certainly seems a lot of the reason the dollar is strong, and we do have to go to break now, but the reason a lot of the dollar is so strong in part is there's huge amounts of money coming into the United States looking for investment-grade bonds. And as I just noted, it's something like 93 or 94 percent of all investment-grade bonds in the world with positive yields are in the United States. So that mm-hmm. may be one of the reasons the dollar is being so strong right now. But, of course, gold is rising, too, along with, as you pointed out many times, they don't have to be inverse. So uh, we're seeing both gold and the dollars and silver really taking off today. So uh, I, I don't know. It's a, it, you know it, it, it's a mixed blessing in the sense that those of us who have been positioned in gold and silver are happy about doing well. But at the same time, you see the, uh, the uncertainty that surrounds all of this is also very unnerving, Michael. But I want to well, thank you so uh, much. Go ahead. It's justified. <laughs> it's a reality yeah. that we didn't create. Yeah. You know. yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah. We do have to go. Michael, thank you so much for your, for you, your wisdom and your ideas. Always good to have you. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. We're going to break. But when we come back, Daniel McAdams of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity will be with me. And we'll look forward to what Daniel has to say about geopolitics and how that fits into the market equation. We'll be right back with Daniel McAdams. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me Daniel McAdams. It's been quite a while since Daniel has been on the show. So uh, maybe some of you uh, have never heard from Daniel. Uh, many of you have, I'm sure, but he is the executive director of the Ron Paul Institute for Peace and Prosperity. 
He served as foreign affairs advisor to U.S. Con- to, to Ron Paul when he was in the Congress uh, from 2001 to 2012. And uh, in the, the 1990s, he worked as a journalist based in Budapest, Hungary, including as editorial page uh, as editorial uh, editor of the, uh, the Budapest Sun. He also serves as a special rapporteur for the British uh, Helsinki Human Rights Group in the past, uh, while based in Europe, monitoring human rights and elections on the ground in various contentious states, including Albania during the uh, 1996-1998 civil unrest in Montenegro, Georgia, Armenia, Belarus, Croatia, and Slovakia. So he has he has quite a background, and uh, no wonder he also I know him very well. We've spoken many times. Uh, and he is very much a lover of liberty and personal freedom. Uh, no wonder that he fits well with Ron Paul. He uh, he and Ron do a Monday through Thursdays do a uh, a daily discussion about geopolitics, the things that are going on around uh, in in America, uh, around the world as they affect America. And uh, very worthwhile listening to. Going to actually viewing because they do a video. It's a, a live. Uh, video uh, with Ron is at the ronpaulinstitute.org ronpaulinstitute.org Daniel is there Monday through Thursday and then there's another uh, another host, co-host that uh, talks about economic issues with Ron on Friday so Daniel thank you so much for joining us again Jay it's great to be back with you on your program yeah it's good to have you and uh, we don't do it enough I guess it, uh, probably because our show is more focused on economics than it is on on geopolitical issues, but they both are very much related. So, you know, yesterday I listened to a dialogue that you and Dr. Paul had that was posted at the Ron Paul Institute's website, and Ron talked a lot about moral decline, uh, a moral decline in America over the years, not only the way our government treats other nations, but the way we our government treats its own citizens. I don't know if you care to perhaps comment on that general theme and perhaps give us some examples. Yeah, we were talking about the collapse of empire. We were inspired by Jeff Thomas, who did a piece uh, for internationalman.com about how uh, empires can, can fall at an alarming speed. You know, we, we remember still in 1989 how quickly the Soviet empire fell, uh, and it turns out to be more of a paper tiger at the end uh, than, than, than we thought. And, you know, and that seems to be the case with the U.S. empire, and people don't like that word, but when you have a country with military bases... Uh, in, in 150 or so countries overseas, uh, then you, you do have a military empire. Uh, you do have a global empire. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, Jay, that it costs us more than we can afford. Even just our military cost is probably $1.3 trillion at least dollars per year. Wow. Uh, and you can't, you can't continue to maintain this. You can't continue to maintain. And it happens quickly. And, and uh, Jeff Thomas in the piece, uh, you know, did an interesting analogy about the, the schoolyard bully, you know, that he, he, he rises slowly based on aggression. Um, he, he wins a few fights. He becomes feared. He has toadies around him uh, who aren't as strong as him, but they want to have some of the glory of being around him. And then he, the bully is hated by others. Uh, and then at some point, someone challenges the bullies and takes him out. The toadies r- run for the hills. And once the bully's defeated, then that's when the anger and the hatred that's been pent up come pouring out. And they take mm-hmm. great pleasure at, at his defeat, as Jeff said. So, so that really is a situation that we're in, I think, right now. And a lot of things that have happened globally really, I think, tend to underscore that we're in the later stages of schoolyard bullyism. That's very interesting. And it, uh, I just had to 
to think about what our prior guest, Michael Oliver, just told us when looking at the markets. He sees the potential for things to unravel very quickly in the equity markets and in, uh, in the debt markets as well. And, uh, and that with that could come a very rapid change in the political structure in America. That's what he's, uh, that's what he's suggesting, and he's, saying, he's suggesting that. He's a very much a free market guy. I don't know if you know Michael Oliver, but he's very much a free market guy. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he suggests that uh, from what he sees from his technical work, uh, the structure of the markets, that things could come unglued very quickly. Well, speaking of bullies, schoolyard bullies, bullies around the, U- around the world and others that are being bullied – the Obama administration, of course, put together the Iranian nuclear deal, but there was a lot of opposition to that deal from uh, various people in the United States. Uh, do you have an, a sense of, of who were the folks that were really against the nuclear deal? And I, I suppose they're the same ones then that convinced Donald Trump, or maybe Donald Trump didn't need any convincing, uh, to take back that deal. And then I'd like to ask you about what repercussions that might have from a broader context, not just between us and Iran, but us and other nations. Yeah, I think pulling out of the deal is sort of a, a watershed uh, in, in the U.S. And I think it really does hearken to the upcoming end of the empire because the implications of pulling out of the deal are so, are so great when it comes to our relationship uh, with, our, with our allies, the, the toadies mm-hmm. in the schoolyard. Um, yeah. As to who was opposed to it, you know, it's the neoconservatives, the military-industrial complex, the military-industrial think tank complex, you know, uh, Washington is kept afloat by funny money, by fake money. It's an extraordinarily right. rich area, and it's made rich on the backs of the rest of us who have to work for a living, and it's made rich from conflict and war. You need to have Iran as the bogeyman, as the greatest terrorist sponsoring state in the world, which is absolutely untrue, but you have to maintain that fiction to justify our continued provocative actions in the Middle East, our continued uh, illegal op- occupation of Syrian territory, our continued um, illegal aggressiveness in the, in the Persian Gulf. All of this, this is, this, is the, this is a house of cards, really, but for now, it's enriching some very well-connected people. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, um, I think I saw just uh, today maybe an article in which the French president was trying to convince uh, was trying to convince President uh, Trump to uh, you know to try to make amends with Iran and try to get things back on on track. Uh, certainly, I know uh, I remember when Vice President Kerry was uh, was uh, was uh, making the case for the agreement that Obama put in place. He was suggesting to uh, I think it was a group of businessmen that he was speaking to. He was suggesting. That if we took away that, uh, you know, if 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 we took a, if if we didn't pass this deal, we would make a lot of our allies in Europe very angry, because they had sacrificed a great deal with sanctions in terms of their economic well-being, and we finally then got them to some sort of an agreement. I guess the neocons always have to have a reason why not to make peace, but uh, the fact is, he argued that there could be real repercussions with regard to the reserve currency status of the dollar, because these countries uh, are already a little bit questioning about why. Maybe they're not being well served by a dollar that's created and used uh, to, you know, bully others around the world. Um, so, do you think, to a great extent, that this has hurt our relationship with Europe, with European allies, and, and I mean, Germany comes to mind, too, in, in terms of its relations with Russia, but 
Could you comment maybe on some of those economic connections with uh, our bullying status? Yeah, I think, I think hurt is, a, is an interesting word. I would say changed. It changed our relationship. It was a wake-up mm-hmm. call to our European allies that, you know, the United States really doesn't have our best interest at heart. Uh, it has the interest of a narrow layer of American political society at heart. And, you know, you saw from when the, when the Iran deal, uh, the JCPOA started to be implemented, you saw an enormous uptick in, in uh, trade between Germany and Iran. Iran mm-hmm. wants to buy things, it wants to sell things, it wants to trade in the international markets. And Jay, you and Dr. Paul and myself and all of the other, the rest of us who believe in free trade, free trade creates uh, peaceful relations. You know, right, uh, peaceful right. relations follow trade. And mm-hmm. so this was a this was a win win for everyone in Europe. And all of a sudden, in a very capricious manner, President Trump comes up and says, "No, we're going to shut the whole thing down. It's the worst deal ever." And everyone else is thinking, well, what was so bad about it? And now if you look at the mess that, that Trump has created, the U.S. is desperate to go back to the status quo ante. Just like in every other place we blow up with our foreign policy, in Libya, in, 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 in Iraq, et cetera, et cetera. If, if we could just go back to the status quo ante before we tried to help uh, these people and help the situation, yeah. we'd be better off. So it just shows the folly of this kind of activity. Yeah, well, I have an idea that that $1.2 trillion a year is helping some people, as you say, a narrow interest. And, uh, well, you, you, uh, you go around Washington, you just in Washington, it's, uh, it's, it's just becoming, that whole area is becoming one of the wealthiest. It's almost like parasitic, I would say, money just flowing from the middle class to the, uh, to the people that are connected to the government. Well, with just a couple of minutes left here, Daniel, we're, the trade, the trade dis, uh, dispute with China what are you and, and Dr. Paul saying about that? It's also another case of us shooting ourselves in the head. Uh, certainly, it, it, shows the, the, it shows the disdain that the ruling class has for the middle and working class because the trade war hurts the poor. And, and I, your, readers, your, your listeners don't need me to lecture them. They know better than me. But, but a, tra- a tariff is a tax, as they, as they well know. And it's a tax on the people who can least afford it. The people who shop at Walmart are, generally speaking, not the upper economic echelon of our society. They're people mm-hmm. for whom a slight increase in cost uh, of, of items that they need could really be a make or break. And this is really the, the, the basis of Trump's presidency. He's basically shooting himself in the foot, shooting his election chances in the foot by doing something so foolish and so foolhardy that it could, it could easily launch us into another recession, probably worse than 08 for sure. Yeah. Well, that certainly is the thinking of uh, Alistair McLeod, who was on our show last week, who suggested that the uh, first time since 1929 we have an economy that's in decline, along with the same time that we're imposing tariffs. Uh, the, uh, the shades of Smoot Hawley in 1929, and uh, it certainly doesn't sound like a good thing. I, I understand some of the arguments, but on the other hand, um, yeah, it, it, uh, as you say, trading with others uh, tends to allow people to get along. And uh, the absence of it, of course, uh, well, sanctions are obviously, as, as Ron Paul points out, an act of war, essentially. Daniel, we're just about out of time. Uh, maybe a closing word. What do you got going at the Ron Paul Institute? Anything special? Uh, tell us, tell oh, our listeners, with, with 30 seconds, tell our listeners about what you can. 
Well, we just had a great conference up in Washington uh, a couple of weeks ago on the 24th of August, Breaking Washington's Addiction to War. It was sold out, as all of our conferences are. We do an annual conference in Washington, and we do another conference last year. We, uh, earlier this year, we did one in Houston. So hey, go to the Ron Paul Institute website, ronpaulinstitute.org. You can watch our daily program there. You can read some very interesting and important articles there, and keep an eye out for uh, upcoming Ron Paul Institute events. Very good. Thank you very much, Daniel, for being with us. We'll hope to do it again sometime soon. Folks, we do have to go to break. Don't go away, though. David Stockman will be with us to talk about what negative interest rates will mean for our economy. Don't go away. We'll be right back with David Stockman. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon Territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike Gold Rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corps. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSX and GTBDF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on their wholly owned Dixie project in the prolific Red Lake Mining District of Canada. Having recently made four major gold discoveries, GBR is now fully funded to drill 90,000 meters through to the year 2020 as part of a very active exploration program. Rob McEwen of McEwen Mining, a Red Lake veteran, is a significant shareholder following a recent $5.7 million investment. To stay up to date, visit greatbearresources.ca. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have David Stockman with me once again. As I wrote in the promotion for today's show, a true prophet is one whose warnings actually turn out to be true. While many have ignored or chosen not to take David's warnings seriously over the past decades, nature's laws have a way of ultimately revealing truth. No more recently, it seems that, uh, it seems now more recently, that many who have chosen not to take David Stockman's warning seriously are beginning to see his handwriting on the wall. Most notably, maybe perhaps, Mark Carney, the governor of the Bank of England, who is suggesting the days of dollar hegemony are nearing their end. David has always been a hero of mine because he has never wavered on his very rational views about what happens to a nation when it lives beyond its means and believes in the illusion that wealth can be created by way of the printing press. Alastair McLeod pointed out in last week's show that this is the first time since 1929 
when the uh, when a country is engaged in a trade war and at the same time their economy was in decline. Alistair pointed out that if the U.S. dollar heads into negative interest rates, given the reality of time preference, a principle ignored by Keynes and virtually by all central bankers these days, the end of the U.S. dollar as the world's reserve currency is highly predictable. David is one of only two former members of Congress that I know of who have a very strong understanding of economics and the pernicious impact uh, that occurs by fine funding endless wars. And the only other person that I know who has an understanding of the pathology and the pathological behavior of our nation's foreign policy and deficit spending is Ron Paul. And we just heard Daniel McAdams a few minutes ago on this show. He's uh, Ron Paul's foreign policy advisor in Congress, and I do hope to get Ron on again. But we are indeed very pleased and uh, fortunate to have David Stockman with us. And uh, not only does he share many of Ron Paul's views, but having worked on Wall Street in the past, David brings an understanding of markets and how they work as well as anyone we have on this show. So, David, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, Jay, uh, very happy to be with you. You know, I just went to your website a couple of days ago, and your subscription, which I've, I've subscribed to for a number of years now, it's very reasonable, and people of average means can certainly afford it. But I think you have an even better deal, something like a twelve ninety nine or something like that. You get a book, you get your book, Peak Trump, The Undrainable Swamp and the Fantasy of MAGA. And uh, I guess you give a trial subscription to your to your daily missives that you send out by uh, the Internet, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, we go out every day um, addressing all the topics that we're talking about here, uh, central banking, the fiscal crisis that's uh, uh, developing not only here but around the world, uh, our foreign policy of perpetual endless wars and uh, as issues become salient, uh, we uh, address them, uh, whether it's Syria or the Iranian uh, standoff or the trade war with China, all the rest of it. So, yes, um, and uh, that that offer is uh, now stands. Uh, the book I uh, wrote early this year, I said we were at peak Trump. I still believe that very strongly. Uh, so that provides some context, and then uh, day to day, uh, we try to keep people up to date on at least our interpretation of these mm-hmm. momentous events going on around the world. Yeah, and your interpretation is uh, is really something unique, and that's the reason people should subscribe because you can get the same kind of talking points no matter which mainstream media you go to almost all the time. And it's very refreshing once in a while, David, to see you pop up at at Fox or CNBC or someplace like that, and. Uh, and give a very different take than what the mainstream basically wants to see. And that's why I'm so happy to have you here with us. Again, well, I've titled this week's show, Can the American Empire Survive a Failing Economy? And uh, and I was thinking about it afterwards, and I should have made it a bit longer. I should have said, Can the American Empire Survive a Failing Economy and Negative U.S. Dollar Interest Rates? Because the topic of negative rates is what we talked to Alistair McLeod about last week. And I do want to get David's view on that. But David, before we get started on that, you know, every every time you go onto the mainstream, especially if you go to Fox, you hear nothing but, uh, you know, all of these all of these talking heads are talking about what a great economy we have, the greatest economy ever. And, and yeah, you Democrats, I mean, you dumb people, if you just would realize how great Donald Trump has been for the economy, I don't believe that you see it that way. And I'd like to ask you what your views are on the economy generally now, the U.S. economy 
and of course how it fits into the global economy. And what are the chances, in your view, that we could be entering into a into a recession before the end of this year? We have a third of the year left to go. We've had people on the show suggesting it's likely to happen. But what are your thoughts? Well, it's not the greatest economy ever. It's the greatest fantasy ever. But it long predates uh, Donald Trump. This has been going on for years, if not decades. We're near the very end of the longest uh, business expansion in history, as tepid as it has been. But we're at month 121. The pure calendar odds are against, you know, uh, this expansion lasting much longer. Um, And that would be true even under normal circumstances because recessions obviously haven't been outlawed. But in the current circumstances, there are so many built-up distortions. There is so much built-up debt on the economy. Uh, You know, we thought we had a wake-up call in 2008 when the uh, prices came and Lehman uh, filed for bankruptcy, etc. And everybody said, you know, it was uh, the subprime and too much speculation in housing and a massive amount of mortgage debt and uh, all the rest of it. But we had $52 trillion of public and private debt on the U.S. economy at that point. We didn't learn a lesson at all because there's $72 trillion of public and private debt on the U.S. economy today or $20 trillion more. Hmm. Uh, The business sector had 10 trillion of debt uh, at the eve of the crisis uh, a decade ago. Now it's 15 and a half trillion. The household sector was already buried in debt. It was at what I call peak debt in 2008 uh, at around 14 and a half trillion. Now it's uh, nearly 16 trillion. And of course, we don't even have to talk about what's happened to the government accounts where uh, debt is more than uh, double the 22 trillion. But there's a bigger point, and that is we now have so much uh, structural deficit uh, built in, and Trump has only made it worse by adding to the deficit in a you know a discretionary way at the top of the business cycle. Uh, unheard of. He took it over a trillion dollars uh, in year 10 of an expansion when. You're supposed to be shrinking or uh-huh. disappearing uh, the deficit. Uh-huh. So all of these factors, um, to say nothing of the massive speculation on Wall Street, and you know, in the modern world, uh, recessions don't cause Wall Street to fall. Wall Street bubbles eventually collapse. They cause panic in the C-suites of corporate America. They begin to throw employees overboard, uh, engage in huge announce uh, huge restructuring plans to somehow, uh, you know, turn around uh, the, the fall uh, decline of their stock prices, and that's uh, what triggers the recession. That's what happened in 2008, 2009. It really happened in 2001, 2002 as well. So we have this bubble uh, that's gotten, you know, even more fantastic during Trump's uh, time in office. It's uh, any day it's going to collapse, and I think... Uh, you know, the uh, so-called sub-zero debt uh, phenomena or crisis uh, may be the catalyst. But in any event, when Wall Street really begins to unwind, there's nothing down below. In other words, the market is trading, is traded by what I call chart monkeys today. And, you know, <laughs> looking at the 200-day and the 50-day and the 20-day, you know, all kinds of uh, other uh, ratios. But it is not grounded in the fundamentals of either the global economy or the domestic economy. So if we ever have a big break that's not expected and these chart points uh, 
are lost, uh, there will be massive selling. 80% of the volume, as we all know, is basically uh, indexed or passive or ETFs or, uh, you know, uh, uh, algo-driven uh, uh, quant uh, mm-hmm. trading. Uh, so when the thing breaks, it will be uh, quite uh, dramatic. Uh, it will be quite, uh, you know, violent, and uh, the economy will go down with it. Well, that happened before November 2020. I think the odds are pretty high. Right. I, I think uh, we're uh, sort of in the final days of this fantasy, as I call it. And uh, then the danger, of course, is that. If the stock market breaks and it triggers, as I'm sure it will, another uh, serious uh, dislocation recession on Main Street, it's absolutely certain that uh, Trump will be repudiated by everybody. He's made a huge mistake. He called it a big, fat, ugly bubble in the campaign during the 2016 campaign. He was right then. He was no. He was in office less than a month, and he had embraced the thing. And all of a sudden, it was the Trump miracle. And uh, so the, the point is, uh, I have a phrase, you boast it, you own it. And yeah, he has yeah. boasted this economy like no uh, right. sane person ever would or prior uh, president or politician has. And when the whole thing breaks, when this whole fantasy, which he didn't create, he inherited, he made it worse. But when this whole fantasy breaks, it's going to be what I call the great Trumpian recession. And uh, he will be uh, in total disrepute, as bad as Nixon was in 1974, uh, summer of 74. I was a kid there when all this happened. And uh, whoever the Democrats put up, including Mickey Mouse, will probably win the election. Now, the danger, uh, if you're thinking about the market and your position in it or whether, uh, you know, there's still some upside left, uh, the danger is, uh, you know, I don't think Biden's going to survive the primaries. He's uh, quasi-senile and he's making so many mistakes that uh, at some point his support, which is a mile wide and an inch deep, will uh, suddenly vanish. And, you know, Bernie's way too old. You'll have Elizabeth Warren as in the uh, poll position. <laughs> and if she becomes a Democratic candidate at after a stock market bust and an economy that goes back into the soup, hang on to your hat because she'll win. <laughs> and it will be a populist demagoguery against the 0.01% like we've never seen before. And if every if this fantasy breaks... That message, as wrong-headed and as dangerous as it is, uh, will likely prevail, and then we'll get really bad policies. You know, like a wealth tax, there's some major increases in mm-hmm. government spending. Look at all her uh, free stuff programs. I mean, Medicare for All and the Green New Deal and uh, canceling most of the student debt and all the other things she's going to do. Uh, we'll be in big, big trouble mm-hmm. beyond where we are already. Mm-hmm. And this would be my final point here, Jay. Mm-hmm. We're heading into 2020s, and if people don't understand what I call the demographic calendar. Yes. They're making a big mistake, and that is everybody. I was born in 1946, the leading edge of the baby boom, and it lasted until 1962, and there were roughly 80 million babies born, and they're all retiring in the 2020s. And just do the math. And then that means that the cost of Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid, the whole uh, what I call welfare state, uh, is going to explode at a very time that we've got the empire so uh, 
you know, embedded everywhere around the world. And Trump has built the defense budget up, you know, in a crazy manner by another hundred billion um, a year. Uh, we, we, there's no way out of that trap. And that's exactly what we're stumbling into. And this time, and I guess this is the takeoff point uh, for the next issue, the Fed or any other central banks can't rescue us because they're out of dry powder mm -hmm. and sub sub-zero debt is really what proves it. That's, you know, that's uh, the uh, skunk in the woodpile, the giant skunk. And uh, people need to understand that uh, it is symptomatic of the fact that the central banks have finally, you know, shot their wad. They've driven themselves into a corner that they can't get out of. Uh, and have totally destroyed in the process the bond market. There is no yield left in the world except for uh, dollar securities and even uh, the whole yield curve for the U.S. Treasuries. Last week traded for the first time under 2.0% going all the way out to 30 years. Never happened before, and we do have 2% inflation. Which means, plus or minus, you know, it wobbles up and down a little bit, but honestly measured, it's easily 2%. It means the entire yield curve of the benchmark securities of the world, the U.S. Treasury market, are now is now negative after inflation or in real terms. Now, you can't run an economy where debt doesn't cost anything, including 30-year uh, debt. And that's exactly where we are. And when the uh, bond market finally does implode, you know, from all this central bank uh, uh, bond buying and yield crushing, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, that's where we get to the end of the road. Yeah. So, well, David, what what do you think the the odds are? Uh, I, I know in real terms the interest rates are negative now. Essentially, um, you know, and and of course we pay taxes on this treasury income sure. that we and so you factor that in. We're you know we're deeply negative already. So what do you think the chances are of nominal U.S. rates going negative, and, and what impact might that have? I, you know, Alistair McLeod last week talked about the uniqueness of the world's reserve currency going negative uh, rates and how uh, since everything has a time a preference value to it, you know, your ounce of gold, your dollar, or whatever, if they force the interest rates down below that neg below that that preference, a time preference of the dollar, which they're doing obviously, and if it goes negative, Alistair's point is there's no reason to hold dollars anymore. You may as well just go out and buy stuff, um, you know, starting with the most liquid and, and portable gold and silver and that sort of thing. But uh, what first of all, what are, what are the chances do you think that the U.S. Uh, dollars uh, that we do go into into NERP that we have a negative interest rate policy here? And if, if that happens, how do you see it playing out? Well, uh, that's a great question. And if it does happen, if the U.S. Treasury yield curve goes negative in nominal terms, I would say it's all over except the shouting. Because let's be very clear on how we get negative rates across the yield curve, not just on the you know, administered rate for the federal funds. It's not even a real market. Uh, nobody trades in the federal funds market except a few government 
sponsored uh, uh, enterprise, the federal home loan banks and so forth. But, but when you get the entire curve negative, like it is in Europe entirely, the entire German yield curve is negative. Even uh, you know the 10-year bond is negative 0.7 last week and the 30 uh, was under. But when the entire yield curve is negative, it means there's massive speculation underway. In other words, uh, speculators are front-running the market and what they think the central banks are going to be doing and when the central banks start buying again which they expect the ECB will announce shortly buying bonds they want to buy the speculators have learned and gotten rich uh, doing this uh, they want to buy what the central banks are going to be buying next week and next month and so uh, you have all these uh, speculators piling on and driving up the price of these bonds and therefore the yield to lower, lower, and eventually negative levels. In other words, there, there is 17 trillion of negative yielding uh, government and some uh, investment grade debt in the world, but only a tiny piece of that was uh, issued with negative coupons. All uh-huh. that has some kind of coupon, it might be a half a percent or one percent or even some of them are two percent, but they're yielding negative now because their prices have been driven way above par. Mm-hmm. The right. problem with that is that's speculation. No one's ever going to be paid back a bond at 130% or 180% of par, where many of them are trading today uh, in the global bond market. They're going to go back to 100. They're going to go back to par. And somebody is sitting there right now on a 10, 30, uh, 60% loss thinking there's always a greater fool that will buy this bond. In other words, they're buying bonds for price appreciation when bonds are supposed to be safe, yield, modestly yielding instruments. They've turned the world upside down. This is what the central banks have done. That's why we have negative yields. And that's why it's a self-limiting phenomenon. It cannot go on much longer because in any speculative bubble, sooner or later, the last sucker buy, does the last trade, and then it's look out below because everyone wants to sell, and you know there's uh, there's no bid uh, underneath. Now, can I use this one example? I know you asked about the dollar, but the point is if the entire uh, U.S. dollar bond market, which is 16 trillion, just for uh, you know the tradable government bonds, but if it went negative. Uh, the 10-year or the five-year, it would mean that this speculation that has driven Europe, uh, you know, to these uh, absurd levels has hit the U.S. bond market. And it, was, it would be only a matter of counting the days or even hours before, uh, you know, that bubble breaks, the mother of all bond market bubbles, as I call it. And then we would have a crisis in the monetary system worldwide. The central banks would be in total disrepute. The only good thing for some people, including myself and I'm sure many listeners, is uh, dollars, uh, I mean, gold will uh, soar when finally the bond bubble breaks and the central banks uh, are totally repudiated. So let's just take one example of how crazy this is, but it's simply a microcosm of what's going on in the sub-zero bond market, the destruction of yield, as I call it, by the central banks, and what the ultimate case would be if we finally approach that with the U.S. with the U.S. Treasury market. And remember now, we're not that far away. If you go back and look at your charts, 
you will see that in uh, uh, last fall, September, October, the uh, U.S. Treasury was trading at 3.24%, the 10-year. <laughs> okay, 3.24%. Uh, it, it ended uh, Friday somewhere around 1.5%. We've yeah. had a huge yield uh, uh, collapse since then, which means implicitly uh, the price of bonds has been going up. So take the Austrian 100-year. Now, why anybody would even buy a 100-year bond today, uh, you know, who knows uh, where uh, Europe will be or whether the state of Austria will exist 100 years from now. It barely emerged 100 years back uh, out of the Versailles Conference, you know, after the Austro-Hungarian Empire was dismantled. But as the case may be, that bond was issued in September 2017 with a 2% coupon. A year later, this past June, it was trading uh, at 160% of par. The yield was down to 1%. The smart banker said to the government of Austria, you know, they, they're eating this thing up. Why don't you reopen the issue and sell some more? They sold a couple uh, billion more, and the bond uh, yield kept falling. The price uh, in the last couple of days was 210% of par. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah. Okay. The thing is yielding less than 1%. It's a 100-year bond, and there's a built-in 60% loss to anybody holding that bond today, absolutely guaranteed, even if you last 100 years. Because even uh, 100 years from now, the Austrian government contractually is not going to be pay back more than 100 cents on the dollar. Whoever paid 210 cents uh, is out of their mind, but they think there's another sucker around who's going to pay 220, and they can capture the capital gain. Now, Jay, this is really big. From yeah. June, when they reopened the issue at 160 to uh, last week at 210, someone on leverage, you know, they people, these traders buy yeah. this stuff on repo. Someone on leverage has made, you know, a couple hundred percent profit yeah. on a bond. This is crazy as hell. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, the final uh, blow-off phase of this whole uh, bubble finance cycle. Uh, That's why your your point about if the bond, if the U.S. Treasury market succumbs uh, to sub-zero or close in the next uh, month or two, truly, it is all over except the shouting, yeah. because it will mean the global bond market has been destroyed by the central banks. Well, David, David, David I'm not uh, particularly pleased with what you're telling me. I mean, I think it's just scary. It's yeah. frightening. It's insanity. It's, it's a world run amok, on, uh, thanks to John Maynard Keynes and other fools. Um, and, you know, what you... If what you say happens, and I believe it will, uh, you, you know, you've always been very truthful about what you believe, and you're not trying to pander to Wall Street or somebody who's going to, I don't know, you're not trying to sell anything but the truth, as far as I can tell. And that's why we really love to have you here. It's not that we like the truth, but I think it's always better to face the truth and get ready for it. It's a world that, you know, I, I, I like to say I'm a gold bug, not because. I want to make money by other people's suffering, but because you could see it coming long ago uh, when, you know, when, when we went off the gold standard, the international gold standard, and then you can just start to see the ramping up of debt and credit, and every, every cycle that we run into, the, uh, the leverage gets bigger. I mean, the, the interest rates keep falling, the, the lower lows, lower highs every time because the system can't take higher rates, so they keep pumping more money into the system, and now we're heading to negative uh, territory and rates, and it just, you know, it's insane. It doesn't make any sense. It's not the way the world works. 
Well, there's so much more that David has to say, but time limits preclude him from doing so in this venue. But I would strongly suggest to all of my listeners that they go to davidstockmanscontracorner.com to read his daily insights into the markets and take advantage of his trial subscription, a special deal right now available for a mere $12.99. And he throws in his book, Peak Trump, The Undrainable Swamp and the Fantasy of MAGA. So it's a great deal, and uh, I hope that you all take advantage of it. He writes a tremendous tremendous amount of material every day, and it's very valuable. It's, it's a service I would not be without. Thank you so much for being with us, David, and sharing your insights. You know, as unpleasant as they may be, uh, we need to know the truth, and thank you very much for for sharing your views with us once again. Okay, great. Uh, glad to be with you. Well, next week, John Rabino will be my guest, and uh, Peter Talman, the CEO of one of my favorite junior gold stocks, Klondike Gold, will be with me as well. And hopefully, Michael Oliver will stop by, too, to give us his latest update on the markets most important to us. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 